Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Since February is Black History Month, I invited a guest that exemplifies black excellence. But before that, let's do our weekly ritual which means me thanking you, my listeners. I appreciate you for listening and spending your time with me. You make me strive for the better and most importantly, feel loved. Speaking of feeling loved, you can show the podcast some love if you want to by giving the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also leave a short and sweet review if you feel like being extra generous. Of course, you can follow us on all the social media at An Immigrant's Life. That's the best way to get in touch with us, like if you want to come on as a guest. Now, let's talk about this week's episode. This week's guest is Redemption Incarnate. After going through so much hardships, fate healed and cleansed him. Enough talk. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a lyrical master that can slap you with some Bible verses. The Panther of Gabon. Everyone, please welcome Remy Kabamba. Yes, 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 yes. Here I am. <laughs> What's going on, Remy? How are you doing? Wow. Pretty good, pretty good. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be here. And uh, I hope something's going to come out of this to bless everybody and bless myself too. Oh, for sure, man. You, it is a blessing already to have you on. Definitely. And I can thank God for that. <laughs> hells yeah, hells yeah. Before we move on, do you have anything to promote? Go ahead, my man. Uh, well, I mean, if there is something that I can promote, it's just love, you know, love and hope. Love and hope because in this particular time that we're going through right now, the whole world is in need of love and hope, you know. So for everybody out there, just never lose your hope, never lose your love, never stop loving one another. Let's not get devised by what's going on right now with the COVID and everything else. Love mm -hmm. your family, love your friends, and have that hope that one day everything will go back to its normal by the grace of God, of course, because we always have to put in church. That's my message. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> All right, like I mentioned, you're from Gabon. For the people that doesn't know, Gabon is a country on the west coast of Central Africa between Congo and Republic of the Congo. Yes. Did you grow up there? Were you born there? Yeah, actually, I was born in, uh, in Gabon, Libreville itself, but uh, I'm originally, uh, 100%, I'm Congolese. Okay. Right? But my parents immigrated from Congo to uh, Gabon, where mm. I was born. What mm -hmm. was the reason? The reason why is because my mom actually um, moved to Gabon because she got married there. She mm. got married with uh, her first husband. And leaving Congo, it was because back then at the time, from what she, she explained to us, uh, her children, that life wasn't easy. You know, in Congo, back then life was really tough. And in Gabon, there were many opportunities um, to grow a business. Um, to, you know, to eventually move on in life. 
So she took that decision at a very young age. She said she was she was like 18 when she immigrated to Gabon, and then she got married there. She had us. Uh, I have two older sisters, and I'm the only I'm the youngest one of the family. Okay, from the same guy. Uh, no, actually, uh, me and my sisters, we do have the same mom, but different dad. Okay. So, how was your life in Gabon? Ooh, my life in Gabon, I mean, it was, it was tough. I mean, I've seen some tough days because my mom was a, a handicapped woman from her right leg. Mm. Uh, she had a hard time walking on her right leg. She was limping. And then um, my mom uh, basically raised that by herself because she got divorced from uh, her first husband because he was an alcoholic. And <laughs> it was very, yeah, it was uh, at an extreme level. Mm -hmm. uh, may he so rest in peace because he's not among us anymore. Oh, rest in peace. Um, but me, when I was born back then, um, my biological dad was never a part of my life. I never met him really because... It was uh, it was a kind of a one-time thing, you know, okay. between my mom and him. And then uh, he ended up leaving Gabon uh, to Switzerland, and he left us beyond, be, uh, behind in poverty and all. So in Gabon, it was it was very tough, like very tough. Like my mom had a bar, and this is how she was able to bring us to school, pay for whatever needs that we we had as children. Mm -hmm. And my mom was very working hard, like to raise us. So I had some tough days. Like I remember um, sometimes for like a whole week, we would only eat like white rice, like plain <laughs> rice, you know? <laughs> Put some salt or sugar. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, I know those days. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I remember I used to walk to school, like six hour walk, like for me to go to school. No, What do you mean? Like, like total six hours, three hours go, go two, three uh, hours go. Well, three hours go, three hours back. That is far. I used to walk that to go to school, and you know it was it was tough. It was tough. Holy crap, man! And obviously, mom is busy with her bar. You have to take care of your own self and your siblings. Exactly, but since I was the youngest one, my sisters were the one who embraced me and helped me through my youth. But uh. It was tough because at the time, I mean, we were always wondering where was our dad. And hmm. The one that was present, he was always drunk every time he came home. Literally, he would pee in his pants on the front of us. He would fall on the ground. We would have to pick him up, help, help him to walk. And we grew up seeing those type of things, you know. So it wasn't always, it wasn't always a bright type of life, you know. And it was a miracle that we actually left Gabon too. Yeah, for sure, man. But were you good in school? If I was good in school, oh, school for me was tough. Like, I remember I had a hard time to 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 capture what I was listening because I would be in class, but I was a dreamer, you know? I was always <laughs> dreaming. <laughs> I was always dreaming in class. So for me, school, um, I still have my, uh, my report card and... Mm. It was very bad. It was very bad. Like, I wasn't the smartest kid, no. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about smart, but you just couldn't focus because I'm sure the yeah. teacher, I don't know if the teacher is not as good enough or maybe the teacher is, you know, teaching something that you don't care about. Not really, because back then in, in Gabon, I mean, in one single classroom, we were like at least 
80 kids, like literally 80 kids in one classroom. So, <laughs> so it was stuff like to be able to listen, to be able to comprehend what was being taught. Mm. And like I said, me too, I had a problem where I was a dreamer. Like literally I would sit in class, but uh, in my mind I was elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And then you mentioned that you end up in Canada. How did you end up in Canada? Wow, that was a miracle. That was a miracle. Are you ready? Are you ready for this part? I was born ready, bro. <laughs> so how did we end up coming to Canada? I remember it starts with this, okay? My mom, every single night, she would wake us up around like 3 a.m. in the morning, 4 a.m. She would wake us up, me and my sisters, for us to go and help her to close the bar, like put the chairs away, clean up everything. So that was the routine. Every day, wake up 3 a.m., help her clean. And every single time we were done cleaning, before going to bed, my mom used to make a small prayer. And she was always praying and saying, God, if God can bless her to uh, build a house in Africa that she can leave us with, if mm-hmm. ever she would go back, you know, to, uh, to heaven and stuff, that God would bless her with a home for her children or else may he open a certain door for us to go to the United States or Europe or even Canada. Mm -hmm. So she was always praying the same prayer every night that God may bless her with a home in Africa for us or else he, if he could just take us away from uh, the country and bring us in Europe, like I said, or the States, but just away from Africa itself. And then one day, um, the drunk father who would always, come home to to see us. I mean, he still loved us, but he had a very issue from controlling his alcohol problems. So one day he came at home, I remember, and my mom was pissed because he was drunk, like from a mile away, you knew he was drunk. And I remember like he was stumbling, he was walking towards us like at the house and my mom was like yelling at him, like, go away, go away. I don't want the children to see you like that. Mm. And then he came and he gave my mom a letter. He said, take this letter. I got to go. And then he left. And my mom threw the letter away. Like, she didn't bother looking at it, you know? And then after, like, a few days, um, my mom took a look in the letter, see what it actually was. Mm. And we were called um, from this organization. I believe it was HR something, something in Africa back then. They were, like, helping immigrants and stuff Mm. to establish themselves. So anyway, in the letter, they were asking us to go and do some exam, like some blood exam, blood test exam. And if everything was all right, we had the opportunity to come to Canada. No way. Just like that. Yeah, yeah. He brought it just like that. But you know, the funniest thing is that son, you know, because my mom had an affair and that's how she had me. Mm. You know, my mom had an affair, but this man loved me as if I was his only son. Like I said, he was a drunk person, but he loved us. Like, and we felt it. We knew he loved us, but he was going through certain hard times. Like I would say there was his personal demons, but mm-hmm. he included my name on that piece of paper as if I was his son. Nice. You know? So anyway, my mom grabbed the letter. She went to the place just to verify because in Africa back then, like there were a lot of like fake stuff, like scammers and stuff. Mm. So my mom went to the place to verify and going there, she was confirmed that it was a true document, that the only thing she had to do was to bring all of us, me and my two sisters, to make the, do the exams. And if everything was positive, 
we were leaving Gabon in the next three months to come no to Canada. Way. Was it for free? Yeah. Yeah, for free, for free. It wow. was a miracle, like I said, yeah, for free. And the, the craziest thing, too, is that our dad, my sister's father, he never included himself in the documents, you know? And the, 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 the thing is, like, this man was always drunk, okay? There's not one single minute that he was literally sober. He was always drunk. But my mom never understood how he filled the, the, the documents, <laughs> how he went through the procedures to do it. He just showed up at home with the letter. We never understood where that letter came from, but he brought it at home. So we, we, we never had the ability to explain who filled up the document, when it was done, who approved it. He just brought it at home drunk one night. And, and to, for him to know to go to that place to help you guys out. Exactly. Wow, that's amazing, like I man. Said, it was a miracle, literally, like, I literally saw God entering the one and only prayer that my mom was making every single night for at least five years. Mm -hmm. But one day, the least expected person, our father, mm -hmm. brought it at home super drunk. He just dropped the letter and left. That's beautiful, man. So after three months, you moved to Canada. Where did you go to Canada? Which, where did you uh, stay? Uh, well, we first landed in Toronto. And then afterwards, we were shipped <laughs> to uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick. Hmm. That's where I actually uh, grew up over there. Okay. How old were you then? Uh, I was 12. Okay. And which year? Uh, 2006. Okay. So New Brunswick. How did you find New Brunswick? How did you find a life there? Um, in the beginning, it was very tough because I... I was missing my friends, you know, I was missing Africa, I was missing the energy of Africa. Mm. And it was very hard for me to rebuild my life there. And plus, when I arrived in Fredericton, it was fully English, right? So I came to this country, this city, where I couldn't speak the language, I couldn't make friends. I had to, basically had to relearn everything um, from life itself. Mm. So it was very tough for me, even at school, like I was lonely. Um, people were making fun of me back then because in the school that me and my sisters were going to, uh, we were the only black, like, uh, colored black people in among 5,000 kids. 5,000? Yeah, we were only two black people. Holy shit, man. They probably like staring at you like, what is this Yo, thing? It was crazy. Like, I remember walking in, in the streets in my neighborhood and literally kids were running away from me. Kids were crying, like <laughs> petrified. For real. Literally. I'm sorry for <laughs> laughing. I, this, is, this makes me laugh, these things. How did you feel, though, when they're running away and you're not feeling welcomed? Well, I, was, I, was, I felt strange because I couldn't explain why they were running away from me. Like, why were they scared? scared from me and i just i just didn't understand i was like man like and it was the first time for me also to live in an environment where there were all white people you know yeah yeah. have you seen white people in real life before you moved to canada yeah actually uh this is a funny story hmm. there were this uh, uh girl from london this white girl uh, no she came from rome 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 hmm. um little girl she moved there in gabon in like the the the, the neighborhood where i was living with my mom she moved there up the street. They had a beautiful home. And all the little boys, including myself, we were literally living and sleeping on the front of the gate. 
<laughs> so we could like chatter, you know? You know what I mean? You shoot and shoot, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember back then, too, this is the funny part. Back then, when I saw that a white girl, she was very beautiful. I still remember her name. It was Estelle. Mm-hmm. She was very beautiful looking. And in my mind, I kept dreaming about it. I was like, you know what? One day I'm going <laughs> to... One day I'm also going to have like myself a white woman because mm-hmm. it was like, wow, you know, back then in Africa. So, yeah, but it was very tough in my neighborhood. And at some point, something that I found really beautiful, the uh, the parents of the kids in my neighborhood, like at least five or six home, like something like that. They were literally coming to my house, knocking on my mom's door and asking her if it was okay, if they invited me to have supper at their home oh. with their children for them to understand that I was a human being, you know, literally like I was going from home to home in my neighbor just for those, those kids to see me as a normal person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, cause this could go both ways, right? Were they inviting you to say like, he's a human being not yeah. different from us or mm-hmm. look at this black kid. No, no, no. It was all love. It was okay, all love. Okay, that's good. It was all love because afterwards, like, I remember the whole neighborhood. People wanted to play with me. I couldn't talk their language, but mm-hmm. they wanted to play with me. I was always getting invitation to go for supper, and I mm-hmm. loved it. You know, it was free food. That's <laughs> awesome, man. I mean, black guys are cool already. Imagine you're the only black guy. You're, like, probably the Denzel Washington of the town. <laughs> And I was getting bullied too. Like at school, one of the biggest problems as an immigrant, I was getting bullied because those people understood that I wasn't from their environment, you know? Mm-hmm. I wasn't from their culture. So I was getting bullied. Like I remember they were calling me names like uh, the black kid, you know? They were calling me the black kid. I was getting beat up at school. You get beat up? Yeah, I was getting beat up at school. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a tough time back then because I was getting bullied and for me to like try to fit in, I remember I got into drugs, I got into like bad stuff, like stealing and stuff, just so I could prove myself, you know? Let's get to, into that because I read something about you that you really got into marijuana and drugs yeah. and alcohol. How did you start? Because based on your story, it was your neighbor that called you in. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, my, my neighbor. Um, I remember this was, I was what? I was 14 at the time, 14, yeah, 14 years old. I remember I was uh, playing outside, like we had this huge yard uh, on the front of our apartment building. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went outside to play, it was summertime. And I saw those two kids, they were like, if I'm not mistaken back then, they were like 10, 11, something like that, 10, mm-hmm. 11. And I remember they were playing outside with uh, electrical bicycles. They were playing outside and I was like, wow, you know, and me, I had like this kind of a drone that my mom had bought me. Mm. It was very cheap back then. Mm. So I was playing with it outside and they wanted to play with my toy. And I wanted to try their toy, those two little boys. And I remember uh, the next thing, we were kind of tired of playing and they were like, oh, but come upstairs, come upstairs to our apartment. Mm. And then I went upstairs and something happened that I was like, is this normal? But I, I didn't know what was good, what was really bad. You know, I was, I was kind of young. Yeah. So I walked in and the little boy asked his father for a cigarette and he, he did give it to them. He did give it to them. And I remember the same day when I walked in, I smoked my first cigarette and I even 
ended up smoking like five back to back because for me it was new, you know? And yeah. I remember smoking weed for the first time too. I was 14 years old, you know, because for me, I was like, oh, if those white kids are doing it and if their father is actually the one giving it to them, so it must be okay, you know? Mm -hmm. So my addiction uh, from smoking cigarettes and weed and actually alcohol began then because he was buying them two Colts 45. For you guys to drink? Yeah, for us to drink. Where was yeah. mom Why this happening? My mom, like most of the time, my mom was always working to provide, you know, mm. she was taking English courses back then too for her to, you know, be able to find like a stable job and stuff. And she mm -hmm. wanted to upgrade her school uh, diplomas. So she was always busy. And my sisters were, were, were also always working just to help out mom. But me, I was the youngest one. So sometimes I was just at home or my mom was at school. She was working. So yeah. I was... There's no parental myself. guidance. I didn't have any parental guidance when I was younger. So Yeah, and you saw yeah. these two two kids with their dad, hoping like, oh, they'll welcome me. There's a family here. I'm safe yeah. here. So yeah, every exactly. time you guys drink, you just go to that house? Yeah, I, I was always going upstairs to that house. We were drinking there, mm -hmm. uh, doing drugs, all types of things, all types of things. And... That influence actually also impacted my school because when I was going to school, mm -hmm. I noticed some other kids also lunchtime, they were smoking weed, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I was just trying to fit in. I was trying to be cool. So I was going to house parties. I was getting drugs. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't focusing my school anymore as I was before when I first arrived. Mm -hmm. That's good. But of course, you're doing weed, drinking alcohol. I'm sure you got in trouble with the police. Oh, yeah, I got in lots of trouble with the police because we would drink and fight and, you know, steal. Because, like, back then I wasn't really working. So in order for me to provide my addiction, I was going to steal things, going to the pawn shop to sell it. Um, what do you mean steal? How, what, what do you steal? I was going to places like Walmart. I would, like, literally steal, like, uh, you know those uh, prepaid phone in the boxes and stuff? I would literally go and steal those and sell it to the pawn shop. Uh, or else, uh, what else that I would do, I would go car shopping at night and I got arrested for that too many times. What do you mean car shopping? Like, you steal cars? No, no, no. Like, breaking into cars at night to search oh. for money, for wallets, uh, credit cards. If they're open, uh, I would literally steal whatever was inside. And you got caught? Yeah, I got arrested one night. I remember I was running away because, like, the neighbors noticed, like, you know, mid of the night, like, random cars, the light keeps going on, like, mm -hmm. one car after another. Mm -hmm. So they ended up calling the police, and I was trying to run away, and I got caught for that. They called my mom because I was young. And what happened? And, well, my mom was very mad. She was very mad, but I didn't have a fatherhood, you know, so it was kind of tough for me to listen to my mom. I didn't mm -hmm. listen most of the time. You know, I basically did what I wanted to do. Yeah, you didn't respect her because maybe because she's a woman, you wanted your dad. Yeah, because like, you know, I was always, I was broken from the inside because back then, like I was going to school, I was seeing fathers dropping their kids at school and stuff. And mm. most of my friends, they had a mom and a dad. And me, I couldn't figure out why I, I never had a family like mom and dad like a normal family so mm -hmm. it really broke me from the inside but those are just the things that i kept deep down and for me to 
and don't feel good about it, I was getting myself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Did you ever talk to your mom about your dad? Uh, I did. I did talk to her about my dad, but she uh, she never really wanted to go deep into it with me. She was just telling me that that he walked away. He lived in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. He had another family. He had other kids. He was married multiple times. You know, and I had other siblings too, but my dad never really took the time to call me and explain certain things and talk to me. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I just met my dad for the first time three months ago, and I'm 29 wow. years old. Yeah. How was that? Uh, it was something. It was something. It was uh, it was my deliverance, if I can say it that way, because it was uh, it was tough. Like I met him for the first time three months ago. He came to Canada to visit. Wow, man. Who reached out, you or him? Well, I mean, like, after my mom passed away, he would call me from time to time, like, every six months, once a year, once every two years. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, like, um, when I had a turnaround in my life, when I first gave my life to Christ, mm-hmm. uh, that's another chapter. <laughs> after that, he began to look at me differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And when he saw that I was actually doing good, I moved on in life. Um, I was doing good for myself. I mean, God just blessed me. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Oh, he didn't want to put in the work. <laughs> no, he didn't want it to because I was his first son too. And from what he, he explained to me, he had me when he was 19. And when it, how it happened, he went to my mom's bar and he knew she was married and stuff. And he was telling me that in the, in the beginning, when we start, they started to like date and stuff. He wasn't okay with it because even so my mom wasn't living with uh, her husband anymore. They were separated, but mm. in, on the papers, they were still legally married. Mm. And for him, when it happened that they ended up sleeping together and they had me, he was afraid. He was scared. They didn't know what to do. And he was only 19 and he just, the best option was for him to run away from it. He just left. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What's the story about you raising $10,000 in a week? Oh, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'll talk about it. We're here to talk. Um, you know what? Back then, like, like I said, me, I was a dreamer, right? So I had this ability to plan evil things. I mean, back then, <laughs> evil plans my mind. Like literally, like I would sit down and I'd be like, Today, like, I want to make $10,000, and how would I do it? And I had all these evil ideas and plans, mm. and I, will, I was literally, like, a scammer. That's how they call it. Um, I was able to uh, make money from multiple different ways, uh, basically brainwashing people for them to give me money, you know? Can you so, get into it? Uh, well, no, no, not really, but it was mm-hmm. evil. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I mean, some of those people, you know, they forgive me through times. And, you know, like I apologize to many of them and, you know, I left it behind me. But back then I was I was just the type of person, like I said, I was a dreamer. Like even today, it helps me today because it helps me to create music. It mm-hmm. helps me to write posts to, to bless other people. It helps me to... You know, to uh, work on different types of projects. Like mm-hmm. my fiance, she's a designer. She designs clothing, mm-hmm. and I could give her ideas. Like I see visions, I see things. I'm like, okay, do this and do that. It's gonna work. Do this and do this and do that because me, I have like this kind of ability that God has blessed me, where I could literally use my mind to create whatever I want and bring it to fruition. Yeah, you're creative. 
Yeah. So back then I was using that side of me to do evil stuff. Mm. So from 14 to how long did it last when you in trouble in uh, New Brunswick? Uh, how long did it last? Well, I mean, I had to leave New Brunswick uh, back in 2014 because I was so much in trouble. Like I've been, I've been to prison before for like six months. I was going in and out, in and out of prison back then. Like prison, prison or just like youth prison? Oh, it was a youth prison, youth, mm -hmm. youth prison. Yeah. Because you were getting caught doing stupid things? Yeah, I was getting caught doing stupid things, like breaking and entering into houses, still uh, You did breaking and entering? Yeah, yeah. Holy I was shit. in many trouble. Yeah, I was in many trouble. I've been to prison for that. I've been to prison for DUI. Uh, I had an accident. And this is this is crazy, too. Uh, I had this accident back then because I was also um, flushing down my feelings through alcohol and things, you know? And back then, I had this accident where I was literally going 150 kilometers straight to a telephone pole, and the car was crashed. The car was literally in pieces. Mm. But when the car hit, uh, it was going to hit the pole, like everything was going slow. It's like my mind was taking like one last picture before I die. Mm -hmm. And when the impact happened, everything went pitch dark, like literally pitch dark. 10 houses, lost electricity. People were coming from their homes. Like it was mm -hmm. in wintertime and I was really super drunk. But the next thing that happened when I opened my eyes, me, I thought I was dead, you know, because I just left my friend's place from drinking and doing drugs and stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought I was dead because when I opened my eyes, I was literally standing out of the car, literally standing out of the car. Me, I thought I was my spirit, you know, like the movies, my spirit came out of my body. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw my friends running down the street, looking at the car and looking at me, nobody could have explained how I was still alive and who took me out of that car because the windows were smashed. The car, like even the back tires wasn't touching the ground anymore. Wow. You know? And when the police, uh, the police arrived, they did some exams and they couldn't explain it because they were like, you hardly even have alcohol in your system. You, like the drug test came out normal and who brought you out of that car? And I couldn't explain. I was just standing out of the car, you know? Even so, it was so scary and like, some, it was impossible basically that the police didn't even arrest me. They told me to go home because they were like, we can't even explain how come you're still alive. They were like, we're not going to arrest you. You find someone to bring you home because mm. you were supposed to be dead. Literally, that's what they told me. They're like, go home. Uh, there's your ticket. You find it was a twelve hundred dollar fine. Uh, mm -hmm. They say go home, come come to court on Monday, and that's it. But I ended up going to prison because I didn't I didn't have the money to pay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how was prison? Uh, at first, it was it was very scary. It mm. was scary. It was uh, it was unknown. But it brought me a lot of reflection, you know. But somehow, somehow I kept going in. <laughs> <laughs> but you were young. You didn't have a direction. You didn't have anyone yeah. that is an adult that tells you, like, hey, stop being stupid. You know, mm -hmm. do, you know, focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you get into so, fight in prison? Yeah, I got in, into one fight because prison you're not allowed to walk into somebody else's cell just like that you know mm. you can't do those type of things mm -hmm. and then i remember when i first came in the prison um they put me in a cell where the guy 
and after I was leaving the very next day. Okay. So he was leaving prison. And they gave me all my pillows, all my stuff. They say, go to that cell. And as soon as I stepped into the cell, the guy that was there, he randomly just told me like that. He was like, watch out because there's certain people here that wants to hurt you. I don't know why he said so. He just told me. First thing, he didn't even say hi. He said, watch out for yourself. So certain people here, they want to hurt you. And I was like, okay. I was like, thanks for the advice. And then he walked out. He went to the basketball court. Mm. And I remember I settled down my stuff. And then I stepped out of the cell. I went to watch TV. And then 30 seconds after I sat down, a random guy came up to me. And then he was like, uh, hey, there's somebody that wants to talk to you in the cell that's right there. And then I was like, okay. So anyway, I walked to the cell and the guy was ready to, the, the guy was ready to stab me. I backed away from the cell and then yo, I was lucky enough that the security came before it Ooh. got bad, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The first why, night why, I went why did they hate you? Because like I said, on the street I was I was someone that was very evil. Like I had an evil thinking, like I was stealing from people, I was lying to people, I was hurting people, I was Oh, they knew you from the outside. Yeah, they knew me from the street. Okay, okay. Yeah. How old were you then? Uh, then I was 16. 16? Holy shit, man. Yeah. And I love that you still kept on coming back. Yeah, but the reason why, like, because at some point, I was so much in trouble because even, like, uh, when I finished high school, I, I ended up going to university for one year, but I was always in trouble because that evil side of me was like literally hunting me down. So I ended up um, leaving from uh, Fredericton to Moncton mm -hmm. to see if maybe things were changed, like different friends. And But when I got to Moncton, instead of literally focusing on my school, yeah, I was partying all the time. I had my cousins back then too. Uh, I had like some family members in Moncton that, that arrived in Canada way before us. Mm -hmm. And like back then, like um, I remember their parents, my aunts and uncles, they had bought us a house, you know, a house for us to go to university, like all the boys, because we were many boys in the family. Okay. So they bought a house. Yeah, they bought a house for us to study. But most of the time we were partying, like we were inviting <laughs> girls, you know, alcohol, white girls. whatever you want. Yeah, white girls, you know, all the whole buffet, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah I was always getting in trouble so reason why I left New Brunswick for Quebec because in my mind like I was like you know what if I stay here either I'm gonna die either I'm gonna overdose on some type of drugs mm -hmm. or either I'm just gonna en end up having like many different type types of babies everywhere you know mm -hmm. so I was like I gotta leave this environment before it kills me so mm -hmm. um I reached out to one of my cousins in Montreal and I was like, hey, bro, like, I'm really in some deep trouble because I was on probation back then. The police was always on my back. Hmm. They knew my name as if I was their child. So, hmm. Wait, what prompted the move? Like, what happened that pushed you to move? Well, this is very strange, but I remember at the time I was living at a friend's place and we got into certain arguments about girls and stuff. And then, yeah, so <laughs> we got into an argument and he basically kicked me out. But it wasn't his fault. It was my fault because I didn't, I, I wasn't listening to the rules of the house. 
I was bringing random girls in at whatever time of the night. And I was basically disrespecting him, you know, in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we had a discussion and we sat down and we talked. I was like, bro, I agree. He was like, well, I want you out of my house by the end of the week. And then I remember that time I was like, man, like, here am I again getting kicked out. Like, what am I going to do of my life? Mm-hmm. And I remember I was sitting down in the kitchen and then I heard a voice. Okay, it started by this. I heard a voice. Randomly like that, like I was thinking about my mom, I was thinking about just life, my life, like what am I doing with myself? Because I was I was a bum back then. When he took me inside of his house, I was a bum. I was living outside. I was basically for me to sleep somewhere, I had to find a girl for the night, you know? So it was yeah, it was very bad. So, anyways, I heard a voice. I was sitting in the kitchen and I heard this voice that told me, open your wallet. It started like that. It was like, open your wallet and count how many letters is inscribing your name. Mm. And I was like, what? I was like, where, where does this come from? But it was a peaceful voice. You know, I just, I literally heard a voice. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I thought it was like drugs and stuff that I was doing, like messing up my mind, right? <laughs> so I went and I opened my wallet. Um, I counted how many letters was like inside of my name as the voice did. And it was 22 letters. And then the voice said to me, at that age, your life will change and you will serve me. And I was like, what? I was like, where does this come from? And I was afraid, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got afraid and I was like, man, what's going on with me? What is happening? So I was like, either I'm going to die or either I leave, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so I contacted my cousin. I was like, hey, it's very urgent. Like, I don't want to bother you, but you really got to help me, please. I need to get out of this city. You know, because like, like I said, things were very bad. That's in Fredericton? Yeah, that's in Fredericton. And yeah, and the thing is too, back then when I left, I was under probation, you know, and I wasn't supposed to leave New Brunswick. Yeah, <laughs> but I was sick and tired of just always getting myself in trouble. The type of friends that I had, uh, the, 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 the troubles that I was personally getting myself into, and I was just lost, you know, I was just mm. lost in my mind. So I decided to leave and I got here to Quebec, not knowing what was, you know, what, I was, what was going to happen next. So you live with a cousin in Montreal? Yeah, I came here and I was living with my cousin. And for those five to six months uh, before I turned 22, mm. it was a crazy time. Like when I came here, me, I thought my cousin was going to school, you know. I thought he was studying, but he wasn't doomed. So he was into some deep stuff. Like he was like, literally he was doing cocaine, like have, having girls in hotel rooms, doing certain things that I don't want to talk about, mm-hmm. but some criminal activities. And it was very bad. And at some point, like people were after us because we were deep into cocaine um mdma just all types of stuff and mm-hmm. certain people were coming after us because the apartment that my cousin was living at he wasn't even paying rent you know because all the money was going into drugs sex alcohol and at some point like um we were lucky that morning like we woke up and he was like oh let's go get breakfast we went out to get breakfast and when we got home the house was emptied like emptied out and yeah we ended up being bums on the street. It was bad. Okay. So from that point, who was the person that opened their arms and say, hey, 
Remy, come home. Well, I remember the turning point. I remember one one uh, yeah one morning, my cousin had enough money the night before from hustling and trying to like you know help herself because it was me and him. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time he had enough money to get a motel, and we got a motel. And guess what? We did the same thing. We invited girls and we <laughs> would, you know. And the mo- the next morning I woke up and like we were at least a few people in that motel room. And then I looked at my cousin. I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna leave today because what happened that morning. I went on my Facebook and I saw my sister because I told you I have two sisters. Mm-hmm. There's one that, that left for Dubai. That's another part. She lives in Dubai. There's one that was living in uh, Sennheim, mm. you know, here in Quebec. And I went on my Facebook and she was a, she's a Christian. You know, I went on my Facebook one morning and that same morning and I saw her pictures and she was always happy. She always had that peace, you know. But me back then, I haven't spoken to my sister for seven years straight. Mm. No, because I was into some bad stuff and you know light and darkness don't go together mm-hmm. so yeah but that morning I woke up and I looked at the pictures and she was she had this type of peace that I was like man I'm trying to have a glimpse of that kind of peace to alcohol to sex to stealing through many things you know mm. but it's like it's temporarily it's like it comes and it goes it's like a cliche you know type mm-hmm. of peace and then I was like you know what I know she has problems, but there is a kind of peace that she carries on herself that I really need. But if her God is real and it can give that type of peace, I want it because I wanted to kill myself that morning, you know? Mm. Because when I woke up, I was like, if this is going to be my life, I'd rather just take my life away, right? Mm. So I spoke to my cousin. I was like, you know what, bro? I'm going to leave you and I'm going to take the last bit of money that I have in my pocket. It was like $15. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to take the bus and go see if the God that my sister preaches, that Jesus, mm. if he's able to change my life, I'm going to follow him. But if not, I'm going to kill myself. So anyway, he was like, oh, you crazy. You did too many drugs. Like, you got to <laughs> calm down. What is wrong with you? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, because I felt it in my heart that it was my time, you know, because I was in a very bad direction. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, I ended up going to see my sister. I knocked at the door. And she was, she was like, whoa, like, what are you doing here? Like, she couldn't even recognize me because I was so dis- disgusting, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So she opened the door and she got me in. First thing, took a shower. Second thing, she made me something to eat. And then um, that's when I sat down and I explained to her what happened to me after mom died, you know, like, um, just where I was in life. Because back then... When my mom passed away, we had a, uh, her life insurance money divided by three kids. I had $30,000 when I was 17 years old, but I put it all into drugs and alcohol. In, in the midst of two months, it was done. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, two but you didn't have done. anyone to tell, like, hey, you need to invest this money or do something smart with it. Exactly, but right. When your mom passed away, where was your sister? Did you just move it away? Were you stuck with your mom by yourself? Yeah, but basically, uh, my sisters moved away when I was, what, when I was 15? Yeah, 15 years old. Okay. They ended up leaving. Yeah, one was married to um, her husband in Dubai. But uh, for my second older sister, her, she moved to Quebec for school. She was studying here. She moved uh, when I was 
15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She moved when I was 15. So I was basically living with my mom. Oh, and then when she passed, you were on, alone. Yeah, but what happened was uh, I was living with her and stuff. And like my mom was going through cancer, you know, she was doing no. chemo and stuff. And, Sorry to hear that. Uh, no, it's okay. So I remember every time after school, like I had to go to the hospital, check on her, uh, on her chemo process and stuff. And that was also a part of my life that was very tough to see my mom that week. She was losing strength. She was getting skinnier and skinnier. She was losing her hair. Hmm. And, you know, like while other kids were going home after school, me, I was going to the hospital to see my mom, you know? Yeah. So Jesus worked? It's off that part. Yeah. So anyway, I sat down with my sister and I explained her everything that happened in my life and stuff, the troubles that I got myself into. And then I was like, you know what, but I'm, I didn't came here for, for you to have pity on me, but I came here to see if you, God, is real. If mm. you, God, is able to change life. If he is, I want to try. And she said, look, like, me, I can't help you, like you said, but I'm going to get you an appointment tomorrow with one of my pastors in Montreal, and they're going to pray for you. I ended up going there. I met the pastor. I went into the office and he was reading the Bible about me. The verse, when he was talking, it was going from one year to the other, you know, because I didn't know why, what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. But I remember he looked at me and he said, receive Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior. And I stood up from where I was. I was like, yes. I was like, yes, that's what I want. Because it's like inside of me, I knew that was, that was the answer. That, that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then he kept talking about certain verses in the Bible. And then I remember I looked at the pastor, and he's alive. This is a true story. I looked at the pastor and I said, why are you talking to me? There's a demon inside of me looking at you. He said, yeah, I see him, but tell him to come out, cast him out. It was, like, I didn't know where the strength came from. I knew it was the grace of God, but I just began to pray. That's how it happened. I just prayed. I don't even know the words that I said. I wasn't in control, and the Spirit left me. And then I remember... The pastor looked at me and said, now you have to accept Jesus. So anyway, I repented of my sin. I asked God to forgive me of all the wrongs that I have done. And then as soon as I did that, the pastor looks at me. He's like, the spirit of God wants to baptize you. But me, I heard about Jesus. I heard about God. Mm-hmm. I never heard about the Holy Spirit. But I was still a polite kind of, kind of person back then. So I said, okay, yes. He said, just raise your hand and you're going to get baptized. I just raised my hand and I began to speak in different tongues, you know, mm-hmm. one of the gifts of the spirit. So as soon as that happened, I finally understood that back then I thought I was living, but I wasn't living. I was dead in within myself. My spirit was dead. Mm-hmm. It was just my flesh leading me into the most evil places of this life, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, when I left the office, I remember... I was walking on the street and I seen someone smoking and usually I would beg for a cigarette, you know? But when the smell touched my nose, it just disgusted me. And I was like, what is that? Like, why was I even smoking that, mm. you know? And I remember I was walking on the street and I was seeing how people were oppressed, how people were demonized, how people, like, literally I was downtown Montreal. I was, I was seeing people driving the nicest car, wearing suits and stuff. But if you knew the amounts of demons and depression, oppressions that was on their life it was just intense so then i had the ability to see i was like whoa so i was literally dead before i received christ i was dead you know Mm -hmm. so 
So anyway, when I walked out of that place, I never touched any drugs, no coke, no, no sex, no stealing, no lying. Everything stopped right there. That same day, everything stopped. I began to serve God and I never turned back since 2015. And it just went from glory to glory. Praise you God, know? praise God. You said oppression. I saw you march for George Floyd. Have you yeah. been a victim of a racial profiling in Montreal or anywhere else? Well, like I, for, for that, not really in Montreal. Because like in Montreal, like see, one of the things that I love when I arrived here too was the diversity, you know, of different cultures, right? But back then in New Brunswick, like I said, I was one of the only blacks in the school, you know? So I was getting bullied all the time. But over here, it actually helped me to to cover myself up because there's all types of culture here in Montreal, you know? Beautiful, yeah. So I didn't really went through that, but I mean, around the world, like in the States and stuff, we see it all happening. So I just did the march by love, you know, because back in the days, I knew what it was like, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned this, that congratulations for your uh, engagement. Yeah, I got engaged. <laughs> it's just amazing because when I talk about my past, there's so many things to say, mostly the evil things. But today, like, I mean, I live in a nice condo. I have a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. I have beautiful friends. And, you know, I, I, I vow to spend the rest of my life to help others, you know, to motivate people, to pray for people. But yeah, so I got engaged and congratulations, marriage too. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyways, I want to talk about that because I saw that there was an incident on Facebook on your account regarding a picture of you and your girlfriend. And then there's this woman, a black woman, that told you, quote, get you a black queen, young brother. You can yeah, do better. Yeah. yeah I was yeah, like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But see, like, talking about also racism, you know, me, I said, I don't, like, you know, when, when I say black lives matter, but that's not, that's not right. That's not right to say all lives matter, you know, mm -hmm. because... Since I've been dating, uh, since I was dating now my fiance, we went through many, all types of ra racism acts, but mostly from black people, to be honest. No, mostly yeah. from black people. And many people were inboxing me, telling me like the most stuff. And before I never used to expose it, you know, but at some point I was like, I can't take that. Like, are you for real? Are you, you you're literally going to take the time of the day. I don't know you. I haven't ate at your house. <laughs> I haven't seen your cat. I don't know what your name is. Mm -hmm. But you have the, the courage to inbox me and tell me that I made the wrong decision. Yeah. That I should get myself a black queen. <laughs> it's wow. so ridiculous. But for the listeners, your fiancé is Asian, right? Yeah, she's from China. She's 100% Chinese. Okay, okay. She's, I mean, hey, good job, buddy. She's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I like what you said there because that happened to me. I didn't, I never had a girl, a black girlfriend, but I had, a, I have some friends that are women mm -hmm. that are black. And I remember one of them, I, we met her family mm -hmm. and she, she always jokes with me that I'm, I'm her boyfriend, I'm her boyfriend, but you know, we're just joking around, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so we met her family and she made a joke like, oh, oh, this is my boyfriend. And the woman mm -hmm. was like, no, no, never, never, <laughs> never with a Chinaman. And I'm like, yeah, what the, f like, 
Right. What is wrong? Like, why would you even like? Literally. Mm-hmm. That's why when I saw that post, I'm like, that spoke to me as well because it's close to my heart. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, and uh, this is this is the kind of topics that people don't really want to talk about. But black people are racist against each other. They're racist against others. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's a fact. They even say it sometimes they are against darker colored black people. Yeah, yeah. And how I can prove that, I mean, since I've, I've been going out with uh, Anna, the only hurtful messages that I've received was from black people. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I ask what kind of uh, comments? Well, just comments like, are you sure she's the one? Are you sure it's meant to be? Why don't you get yourself a black queen? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, just random hurtful comments, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, are, are you sure? Like, uh, do, do, you, do you know if it's really her? And, you know? That's but yeah, crazy, yeah, man. yeah. That's insane, man. But that's the negative. Let's talk about the positive. What do you love about oh. being in a mixed relationship? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, um, what do I love about it? I mean, nowadays, like, there is this um, sort of... Uh, um, how can I say trend of like mixed couples and stuff mm-hmm. uh, what the benefits from it I mean I like like I say motivating people helping people like you know um, that's what I do on daily basis but like with my fiance now like I've noticed that we do impact many more people together because you never you don't really see nowadays black and Asian you know it's not something that you see like on regular basis. No, mm. you know, so it's actually one of the best parts of it. It's that it, 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 it brings hope to people that love still exists, you know, mm-hmm. that hope still exists that, you know, you, you can be with whoever you want as long as you're in love. You know, there's no barriers and stuff, you know, mm. but I'm not going to lie on her family part. It was also tough. It was tough in the beginning, like very tough. <laughs> very tough, very tough. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, I mean, in the beginning, when her parents, because I'm the first guy that she ever brought to her home, like telling her parents that I'm dating someone, I'm the first guy. So mm-hmm. when they heard that she was dating, plus that I was black, they literally said, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> everything but black <laughs> exactly everything but black they were like hell no like literally no you know so it was a tough thing but plus not only that I was black but I was a believer of Christ that was another topic oh you know? so they okay. were like not only that he's black but like he believes in Christ and blah 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 because they were atheists you know so you charmed them because you have that magic, like you said. <laughs> but, How did you like, do it? Well, I mean, it's just so consistency, you know. Everything in life, like, all success itself, you know. If you're not consistent, you, you're never going to have w- what you're looking for in life, you know, what you need. So we were just consistent. Like, we kept going to church every Sunday. They saw that we were serious. We kept loving each other no matter what was happening. And she clearly told her parents, like, look, he is the the the, the he is the, the man of my life and I know mm-hmm. it and I believe in it and we love each other and that's it, that's all. You know? mm-hmm. So 
Bless, uh, bless, after, bless, like, bro. I remember after like uh, six months, something like that, into our uh, our dating uh, process, one day I went to her house, to her home for supper. I got invited, and I sat mm. around the table. And with her family, like we we can't really communicate because they only speak uh, um, uh, Cantonese, mm-hmm. and they they don't speak really English or French. Only her and her brother speak fluently English, French, and you know. A Cantonese. Mm-hmm. So her brother would usually translate between me and her parents. So one day I sat around the table, they were eating, we finished all eating and her mom stand up and she stood up at the table and she said, from today, you are welcome in this house. Our home is your home. Like we accept you. That's you know? amazing. Yeah. It took six months of consistency, you know? Yeah. Light always wins. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, love always wins too. <laughs> amen, amen. Yeah. All right. I mentioned this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about once. Oh my God, once, yeah. <laughs> What does it mean to you? Why did you choose that name, once? Um, okay, it started like this. Back then, um, sometime like when I was hanging out with friends and stuff, if I hear a random beat, playing i would try to rap over it you know mm-hmm. and every single time i was doing that my friends were like oh you're good you're good but me i never pictured myself making music you know but my mom had a bar growing up so i spent my whole life listening to music on daily basis but i never had any thoughts or ideas of me making music so when i met my fiance at the time three months into our relationship I remember at some point uh, she was at my house and I had music playing and I started to rap and she stopped and she looked at me and she said, you are, are you a rapper? I was like, oh, no, no, no. She was like, you're very good. But I didn't take it seriously either, you know? But yeah. um, in, okay, 2018 going to 2019, uh, me, I had this habit of like of spending like, The three days before the new year, I would spend it by myself. Either I would rent a hotel or I would literally lock myself in a room for me to have a clear vision for the next year to meditate, to see what I can do better next year and stuff. So I always had that habit. But at the end of that year, from 2018 to 2019, I felt like there was something about me that I haven't yet discovered. I didn't know what it was, you know, literally mm. what it was. So... Mm-hmm. I looked at my fiance and I said, you know what? I don't feel right. I feel like there's something in me that needs to come out. I don't know what it is, but it has to come out. But for that, I need my own personal time. I'm going to go rent myself a hotel and I'll see you in a few days. You know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I went to Montreal. I got myself a hotel room and I walked in, I settled down my stuff and I brought myself a speaker because I would listen to music or a movie or something. And I remember I went down to grab myself food And when I came back in the hotel, something was like, put some music on. And then I was like, okay, I just, I put some music on. And bro, believe it or not, I started to rap out of nowhere. It's like my mouth wouldn't stop. Like, it was like I was vomiting, but just lyrics and lyrics, lyrics, bars, 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 was just dropping from my mouth for like an hour straight. And then at some point, I was literally panicking. I was like, I need to film this. Like, what is going on? Like, I need to film that. So anyway, every time I was trying to grab the phone to film the way I was rapping, it's like it stopped, you know? And then I heard the mm-hmm. voice, I heard the voice of God say straight to me that 
this is not for the world to see. This is for you to see in order for you to believe in yourself in what's going to happen next in your life. And then I was like, whoa. So anyway, I kept, kept rapping. And I remember I went to the, I went on the front of the mirror and I saw something that was very amazing. I mm. saw a man on the stage and that man was me, but he was so focused. He was disciplined. He was consistent. And I saw a crowd, like a huge crowd on the front of him. But this guy, it was weird because I looked at, it was a vision that happened now hotel. I looked in the crowd and I saw people getting healed, people receiving miracles, people getting touched from God. But at a rap concert, mm-hmm. you know, at a rap concert, people were literally getting touched by the glory of God. And then after when I saw that vision, I heard the name once. And I wrote it down. That's how I got the name once. And when I meditated on that name, it's because my type of music, what I'm going to do as an artist, it's not something that you're going to see on a daily basis. Nobody would ever do it the way I want to do it because I want to make the type of music that will speak to the people of the world as of the church too. But that type of music, it's messages. All my music, it's a message. If you read the lyrics, if you take the time to listen, it's all messages, like hating messages, you know? Mm-hmm. I did. Actually, I did this morning. I listened to pretty much all of them. Yeah. One of my favorite one is Stop Racism. That one is, for me, it's like complete. It, great lyrics, great beats. It's beautiful. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, that's where the name once came from, that hotel room. And the very next day when I got home, my fiance can testify on that. I never stopped doing, I never stopped making music. I bought myself like all the setups and stuff and I began to write and I still write until today. And I'm working on an album this year, which is called Love God or Die Trying. Let's go. I love it. Yeah. Love God or Die Trying. That's awesome. I can't wait for me to grab one of those copies. (laughs) amen amen (laughs) that's awesome man i think we're getting there but i want to ask you one more question yeah go ahead go ahead what's your goal for 2022 my goal for 2022 i really wanted to uh you know to understand more about myself i wanted to understand more about the hitting abilities in myself because we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time with friends. We spend a lot of time with many people around us. We're always busy doing some, some other things, but we're not busy enough for ourselves. So this year, I really want to spend some time to getting to know more of the abilities that God has blessed me with. But other than that, one of my biggest vision this year, I really want people to see the power of God, to see that there is still hope, you know? There is still hope out there. Like, you're not alone in whatever you're going through. You're not alone. You know, you're not alone. If what happened in my life, that instant miracle happened in my life, God did it with me. But the Bible says that God doesn't exclude anybody. If he did it with me, he can do it with you, you know? And even my fiance can testify, we already had miracles of money where literally we were blessed with money just like that. Like, just about what? Um, a few weeks ago, all our debts were paid, like my debts and her debts paid by somebody, you know, a normal person just decided to pay our, our, all of our debts. So there's... Tell, some... tell this person to send it over here too. Yeah. <laughs> so see, like I live like, literally, I live a supernatural life and I'm not going to hide it. But if you really want to see how it works, 
I can talk to you about it all day long. So really my, my goal this year with my, my fiance too, we just want to help people. You know, we want to listen to people because many people want to talk, but there's nobody to hear them out. You know, many people have something to say, but nobody to hear them out. So this year, I, I really want to take my time to hear people talk. I just want to hear them talk. You know, I just want to hear them talk because people need it right now more than ever. You know, and mm-hmm. there's no more greatest gift but to live this world knowing that you impacted life. You know, money will come and it goes. Success will happen we, even without you being in control of it. But people's life, giving somebody hope, giving somebody love is more precious than anything else in this world. Amen. Thank you, brother, again, for coming to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Amen, 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 amen. I can't wait. If there's a next time, I'm always available. And uh, for sure. it actually felt good, too. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm glad. Have a good evening. You, too. Have a good evening. Stay blessed. Stay blessed. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Remy, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.